Hey everyone, we are back with tennis picks and bets here on the Mayo Media Network. It has been a while, it's been since the US Open, but with the first Grand Slam or major event of 2021 set to go live from Australia in just a few days or even hours time at this point. We are here to bring you a preview of both the men's and women's draws from Down Under. And boy, are there some storylines to follow, including one around the biggest name in the world of tennis. We'll get into that in just a second. First, if you have some outright bets, go ahead and drop them in the comment section below. Be sure to like this video and subscribe to the Mayo Media Network YouTube channel as well. And if you like this stuff in audio format, daily fantasy sports, picks and bets, the mix, rate, review, and subscribe at your favorite podcast app. Now, we'll start with the men because this is where the juiciest storyline comes from. Novak Djokovic. Two words. We're not going to get into the whole saga because this video would take an hour if we did. So we'll give you the TLDR, too long, didn't read version. Novak Djokovic, uh, let's just say he fudged some documentation about going into Australia unvaccinated for his medical exemption. Let's also say that Tennis Australia may have led him astray with what he needed and what would have been allowed to get in. And let's just say that the, the, federal, the Australian federal government may or may not have unilaterally with the immigration minister overruled a court of law that reinstated his visa it is a mess. It is a mess on all fronts. So as of right now, we actually don't know if he's going to play as of this recording. We won't know until about 24 hours before the tournament even begins. He won't even know if he's playing because he's got yet another appeal hearing. So keep that in mind as we go through this preview. He is in the first quarter. He's right at the top of the draw as the one seed. So we'll get that analysis out of the way right off the top. And that means that's where we begin. Novak Djokovic, the top seed. We don't know if he's going to play. If he doesn't, that will be Andre Rublev moving from the fourth quarter up to his slot in the first quarter of play. And that will be beneficial for a few people. First off, it alters the complexion of the tournament in general. Consider the fact that in my mind, there are three men who have a legitimate, serious chance at winning this Grand Slam. Danil Medvedev, who beat Djokovic at the US Open at the end of last season. Novak himself, of course, and Alexander Zverev, who made a controversial statement about those three being the new big three, referring, of course, to the all-time trio of Nadal, Federer, and Djokovic. Uh, I'm not going to get into that part of it, but in this case, and right now, I do believe that when we're talking about contenders here, he does have a point. I think there's some secondary and tertiary guys who could play spoiler for one of them, but I'm not sure they would have the necessary... Uh, firepower or consistency or well-rounded game to actually win seven matches in best of five set format to win the whole thing. So if Novak is sent packing from Australia, we are down to really, in my mind, two big contenders. And they're in the opposite half halves of the draw. In the first quarter, the biggest beneficiary of Novak being gone would have to be Matteo Berrettini. He's already got a tough enough draw as it is. The big Italian who took a set, the first set off Novak in the Wimbledon final and ultimately fell to him, would certainly like to avoid having his return game be on the other side of the net should they make the quarterfinal. Perhaps the only guy in the world who can neutralize that massive service advantage and power advantage that Berrettini possesses, especially on quick courts like, uh, like those in Melbourne for the Australian Open. If it's Rublev there, I think he's a lot more comfortable. Rublev is not nearly as consistent, doesn't have the backhand ability, doesn't have the rally tolerance, ability to extend rallies and not commit errors that Djokovic does, and he doesn't have the pedigree that Berrettini's already put to, uh, 
resume or pedigree that Berrettini already has. So this would be a big boost for Mateo. Now, Rublev himself slotting up there, probably better off playing Berrettini than Medvedev, who he's struggled against in the past, primarily because Medvedev has a huge serve himself and, of course, is one of the better defenders and movers despite him being so big and you'd think he wouldn't move well. He is one of the best out there on tour. So I don't think Rublev could troll Berrettini, but he'd certainly rather play Berrettini than Medvedev. In the second quarter, we find Sasha Zverev. Alex Zverev is the guy who will be watching these proceedings probably most intently. Maybe Medvedev as well, the two top contenders outside of Djokovic himself. His half looks fairly good for him. The German with his own off-court issues will be coming in as a strong favorite to make the semifinals. And if Djokovic isn't sitting there in the semis, he is going to be an overwhelming favorite to come out of this half of the draw and represent the top half in the final down under. Very strong game. We've talked about in videos in the past, guys who could potentially beat Djokovic, and we outlined why Zverev is that kind of guy. First, the big serve can win cheap points. Second, he moves well for his height. Third, the net game is there. He can shorten points and not let Djokovic really extend them. And four, even if he does extend them, the backhand-to-backhand ability, uh, where Novak usually has such a massive edge over his opponents, is just not there against Sasha Zverev, who has a rock-solid backhand win. Now, without Djokovic in this draw, things clear up even more, and he is definitely one to watch. Right now in the outright markets, if you peek around, you can find some plus 300s, plus 330s. That's an interesting look because that number is still unsure if Djokovic plays or not. It, obviously, if Djokovic plays, that number probably gets better. If he doesn't, that number gets significantly worse, and you might be finding some value. So just a little look there if you're looking to bet an outright in the top half. The third quarter is an interesting one because it's the one quarter where the top two seeds are not my predominant favorites to advance to the quarterfinals. I think Stefano Tsitsipas is very vulnerable. Despite his run here last season, quicker courts have not been too kind to him because his return game is still lacking as he develops into an elite player and his backhand wing being one-handed can be rushed a little bit. If you can hit hard and, th and through a quick surface, that ball gets to that backhand sooner and he doesn't have time to wind up uh, like he needs, and you can force some errors out of it. That, on top of the fact that he just had elbow surgery and has only played two matches since, one of which ended after five games when his opponent retired at the ATP Cup. He lost the other to Diego Schwartzman at the ATP Cup. Not exactly the most promising uh, to make a deep run at a best-of-five tournament in heat, in Australian heat. It's frigid here. It is hot down under. So let's take a look at the rest of the third quarter. Who's the other seed? At the top of that quarter, it's Kasper Ruud, who has made great progress on hard courts. Let's give him that. He was a clay court only guy before. He came up on clay. He's won a lot of tournaments on clay. I think he won three in a row last year uh, on clay courts when he didn't play the Olympics. But he's actually really shown he can play on hard courts now. That forehand has become more potent on hard courts. It's not pure. Uh, it's not purely reliant on his spin. His top spin is second only to like Rafael Nadal out there on the forehand wing. To put it in perspective, it's why he's so effective on the clay courts. But he started to win a lot more on hard courts. The serve is more potent. The forehand, he's starting to flatten out in some spots, which means he can finally find the power to hit some winners with it. And I do think that he has improved. I still don't have him as a favorite to come out of this quarter, though. Even with an injured Sitsi pass, I think there are a few guys who could make a claim to this quarter if they're on the top of their game. 
and they all reside in Sitsi Pass's section of the quarter. Taylor Fritz, Francis Tiafo, and Roberto Bautista Agut are my three guys to watch in this spot. Actually, Yannick Sinner in the in the other section as well. Uh, obviously, someone <laughs> you don't want to overlook. Very, very talented young player. He's got a decent serve. He's got decent power from the ground. He's got great defense abilities for his height. The young Italian could also be someone who vultures this quarter. But we're going to focus on the three in the bottom half because I think these are the three guys that take out Sitsi Pass before the quarterfinal even happens. Tiafos had success here in the past. He beat him at Wimbledon on a quicker court. Why? Because he's got the athleticism and the shot-making ability. He makes he can razzle and dazzle you with those shots on the run, winners from tough positions. He's got great athletic ability, and he's built for best-of-five set matches. But he doesn't necessarily have the most power to his game. So why does he succeed here in Australia in the past? Or he, why has he had success here? Why did he beat Sissy Pass at Wimbledon? Because his game plays up on quick in quicker conditions. He doesn't have the most power, but the power he does possess is almost magnified or it's elevated a bit by the surface he's playing on when he's on quicker courts. And that's why we've seen him have success in these spots before. I would not overlook him at all. His actually, actually is one of his early round opponents is his compatriot, another guy I mentioned in Taylor Fritz, who went on a great run of tournaments from Indian Wells through Moscow and I believe St. Petersburg at the end of last year, making semifinals, finals, and finals, really putting his game together. He's always had the big serve. He's always had the big forehand. His backhand was a little shaky. His rally tolerance or ability to play on those longer rallies and win points was always a little bit shaky. He really, really solidified those two in the latter half of the 2021 season, and it showed in his results. He picked up some great wins. He beat Berrettini in those tournaments. He beat Zverev in those tournaments. Of course, one of the losses he had, I believe, was to Djokovic. It was Paris, pardon me, not St. Petersburg, another Masters event series, um, you know, where he was very, very strong, losing only to Novak Djokovic. A lot of credit to Taylor Fritz, Taylor Fritz for the way he's put his game together in the last few months. Even his ATP Cup was rather impressive. A straight sets loss to Verov is nothing to hang your head at. And he picked up wins against Felix Ojeliasim, who ended up, of course, winning it along with Denis Shapovalov for Team Canada. And then he had a win to bookend the tournament, his tournament as well. So big ups to Taylor Fritz. I think he is a strong contender in this third quarter considering form, improvements, and his serve forehand combo on quick courts, one to watch as well. As for Roberto Bautista Agut, contrary to what most people would think, because he's a Spaniard, he actually enjoys hard courts, and he's actually had a bit more success in quicker conditions, no less. Certainly something to look for here. He can take the ball early. He can really angle well. He gets aggressive, but also has the rally tolerance to grind matches out. Someone to watch for if you're looking for a real long shot. He's over 100 to 1 to win the tournament right now at some books. Uh, you can also, if you want to play him to win the quarter, I know Tiafo, I think, is 18 to 1. Fritz, 16 to 1. All three of these guys, decent options to win that quarter. Of course, they'd still, I believe, have to go through Yannick Sinner, which is really tough. Um, he's up there. He's ahead of Rude and Sitsi Pass for me to win the quarter. And he's right up there with Taylor Fritz. I think that would be a bombshell of a potential quarterfinal. As for the bottom half, or sorry, we're already in the bottom half. That was the third quarter. On to the fourth quarter, where Danil Medvedev is the presumptive favorite. We're going to keep this one quick. Because Danil Medvedev uh, is the best hardcore player in the world outside of Novak Djokovic right now. He beat him at the U.S. Open. He's in great form. He had a very, very good ATP Cup. 
And frankly, I just don't see anyone stopping him from the fourth quarter. And as I said, the third, even the third quarter is open. So if you were to get to the semifinals, uh, even there, he'd either be playing a questionable Sitsi pass or one of the th- one of the three or four guys I mentioned in that preview. And I, I just don't think we see much of a challenge for him. So we'll keep that one short and sweet. He is the tournament favorite in my book if Djokovic doesn't play. And even still, he's a 1A to Djokovic being the favorite if Djokovic is permitted to play. On to the women's side, where again, this one gets a little murky. Because if we if we start at the top of the draw, that first quarter has the defending champion Naomi Osaka, as well as home favorite and the number, probably the best player in the world all around on the women's tour in Ash Barty. And then you've also got the Olympic gold medalist thrown in there in Belinda Bencic. And wait a minute, they're not just in the same quarter, they're in the same eight of the draw. That is absolutely incredible. And as a result, you're actually finding a bit more value than you'd expect on Barty and Osaka. Getting Osaka at plus 550 to win a hardcourt Grand Slam is in 2022, you'd think would be unheard of. But when you've got the gold medalist thrown in there, when you've got the world number one and the hometown favorite and, you know, the Wimbledon champion thrown in there into the same section, not just same quarter, same half of the draw, the same section, uh, obviously those numbers are all going to be a bit inflated. So if you really do think you have an edge on one of those two women as the favorites, this is the time to take them because they're so close and they meet, they have to meet in the fourth round that both of their outright odds are a bit better than you'd get in any other hard court Grand Slam event because of that. So if you like one more than the other, now's the time to pounce. In the bottom half of that first quarter, you've got Maria Sakkari, who I think should make the quarterfinals to take on one of those two or even three if Bencic finds her form again, as she did at the Olympics. I think you you have the Greek woman with a nice path to that quarterfinal, and she made the semis at Roland Garros. The big knock on her is she has the game. Her serve last year improved by a ton. She's got the ground stroke. She's the most fit player on tour. She's got all the components to her game. The big knock against her has been the mental game in the second weeks of Grand Slams. And I truly believe if you look at her dress, she has a great chance to alleviate those concerns or kind of assure herself, really. Because who gives a, you know, you know what, what any of us think about her mental game? Reassuring herself would be big by getting into that quarterfinal. If she could beat an Osaka or a Barty, that would do wonders for her game. Of course, if we go back to that Roland Garros semifinal against Krejcikova, this was the match that in three sets, before they even got to, it went to what we would call um, extended time. There's no third set tie break at Roland Garros. So what you know we would call in North American sports overtime or in fo- footy extra time. Uh, even before that began, they had combined for over 100 unforced errors. And I don't know how to contextualize that for you, but it's something I had not seen live prior to that match in all my years of watching tennis. Put it that way. 100 combined unforced errors. That tells you kind of how both were playing in that match. Very, very tight, very nervous. So Maria Sakri, all the chance in the world to continue on. If we go to the bottom half of the draw, because the second quarter to me, not really all that competitive. The first quarter is where it's at in the top half. In the rest of the draw, Annette Contivate, it cannot be understated how well she's been playing. Last year, from about August or September onwards, she lost two or three total matches. She lost the the women's WTA year-end event in the final to Garbina Muguruza, and she lost to Garbina as well um, in the round-robin play. And I believe she lost twice to Anshabur. So she lost four matches from Cincinnati onwards. That includes, you know, Cincinnati, the WTA finals, the U.S. Open, 
all of these events lost a handful of matches to really just two or three players, right? She lost to two, two different players on two different occasions. Absolutely on fire. She comes into this one and she just about made another final leading into this tournament. She lost a third set tiebreak to Barbara Krejcikova, the French Open champion, in an extended tiebreak. I believe it was 12-10 or 13-11, somewhere in that region. So even when you're beating her, you're beating her in third set tiebreaks. It takes a Grand Slam champion, top 15, top 10 player type, and it takes a long third set tiebreak to do it. This is the kind of form she's in. It cannot be understated that she has to be one of the favorites in this draw. Of course, the people who did beat her last year in Garbina Muguruza and Ont Shabor are going to be potentially roadblocks. But Ont Shabor hurt herself in her match with Annette Contevate. Contevate led her 6-4 in that tournament I just mentioned after the first set. And then, of course, uh, Ont hurt her back and had to withdraw. That's a huge concern considering Ont Shabor's game. So even that roadblock may not be there uh, in the latter stages of the tournament. But Annette Contevate is surely a good look if you're looking to place an outright on the women's side. Uh, I mean, she... It, I didn't believe it. I was fading her a lot last year, and I paid the price heavily for doing so and not believing she could sustain that run. She has. She's been incredible. She's found uh, her footing, especially on hard courts. Her career started as a clay first player, and now all of a sudden, it is the hard courts where she has found the dominance. So uh, Annette contemplates someone to look at. And if you want to look at the fourth quarter, boy, is it a mess. You've got Iga Shrantek, who hasn't really convinced me on quicker surfaces yet. And then, of course, at the bottom, as I seed, you've got Arena Sabalenka, who, if we want to talk about her for a moment, I think it's worth doing. Her lead-ins have not been good at all. She has hit 31 double faults in just a few matches this season already. It got to the point where she was hitting underarm serves because she had lost total confidence in her second serve. So, in the end... You want to make sure Arena Sabalenka is not on your outright card and you are not betting her early because she is having huge problems with errors and huge problems with her service game. Yeah, and so those are your two main seeds there. And then, of course, people like Petra Kvitova, not great in the heat, not what she used to be. Her movement is just about done, very serve-reliant. Not a lot of uh, possibility in this fourth quarter. So if you like someone on a long shot bid, I would most certainly play them here. We'll be back again. Make sure to rate, review, subscribe to your podcast app. Like this video. Comment with your best bet. We will be back for daily videos right through the next two weeks. Thanks for watching.